This episode of the 10A Podcast is dedicated to Police Officer Jessica Ebbinghausen, Deputy Sheriff John Durham, Police Officer Jake Wallen, Police Officer Anthony Ferguson, Sergeant Edwin Maldonado-Garcia, Deputy Sheriff David Bosecker, Special Agent Robert C. Castione Jr., Lieutenant Michael Wood, Deputy Sheriff Alejandro Martinez, Sergeant William Cherry, Deputy Marshal Barry Giglio, Sergeant Pedro Torres Santos, Deputy Sheriff Timothy Geyer, Police Officer Matthew Hare, Police Officer Jonah Oswald, Officer Bill Saplow, Patrolman James Sides, Special Agent Patrick Bauer, Officer Brian Holly, Police Officer Anthony Francone, Sheriff Robert Daniel Rogers, Deputy Sheriff Matthew Pearson, Government Affairs Liaison Michael Elaine Griffin, Detective Robert Garten, Deputy Sheriff 2 Austin Smith Rebelhuber, Police Officer Kevin Cram, Deputy Sheriff Ryan Klinkenbrumer, Deputy Sheriff Sharon Eric Shane Lang Sr., Deputy Sheriff Marilyn Mayo, Police Officer Darren McMichael, Captain John Robert Randolph III, Community Parole Officer Christine Guerin Sandoval, Deputy Sheriff Jacob Salrin, Correctional Officer 1 Robert Clark, Deputy Sheriff Tucker Blakely, Police Officer Chad Swanson. This week on the 108 Podcast, Blueprint for a Better Life, with Dr. John Deloney. Our us's and them's are often wildly misguided. We almost have a hierarchy of quote-unquote who can take it and who can't. And I just hate that. This isn't a conversation I normally can have. This conversation might sound insane. It had a leveling effect I didn't expect. It was something about showing up in the worst of the worst and then realizing the sun came up the next day. It got heavy after a while, and then it was up to me to make sure I was doing the things that, that kept me well. It's isolating. Kids don't know what your life is actually experiencing. Your coworkers don't know what you saw last night. Your spouse doesn't know what you saw last night. Ah, your life isn't worth that. Do we treat our cars better than our bodies? The views and opinions expressed on the 108 Podcast are those of the authors and guests individually. The 108 Podcast is for entertainment purposes only and is not affiliated with any entity, agency, or department. What's going on, everybody? Thanks for checking out this episode of the 108 Podcast. If you've never checked this out before, I go by 108. And this is the one stop shop for all things law enforcement, mental health, personal growth, and really anything else I can come up with or interest me at a given moment. But before we get too thick into the woods of today's episode, I want to go ahead and thank retired police sergeant Jeff Smith. He provides the music for every episode and assistant police chief Dave Stein for providing the voiceover work for the show for yet another season. Now listen, whether you've been here before or not, I just want to go ahead and take a moment to invite you to check out our merch store. The link is in the description, but you can also type in 10-8-memes.ecwid.com. It's got shirts, stickers, cups, just a bunch of stuff with the same type of dark and sarcastic humor that all first responders, but mostly cops, will love. I also now have a Patreon. If you've been listening for a while, you know I've kind of tried different sponsors, things like this. Now we are 100% 
self-sufficient, or I'm trying to be. It's really weird for me to say that I have a Patreon, because when I first came on social media, Patreon was like the first form of OnlyFans, and I was totally against it, and then talk shit about it, but really, I'm trying to use it the way it's meant to, and have people that want to support me donate, they'll get a little something extra out of it, not like dirty stuff or whatever, um, and it'll help run the show and advance it in the future. So, if you enjoy my content, you can now support me directly and get exclusive bonuses, behind-the-scene content, and stuff that you will see nowhere else. If you want to check it out, go to patreon.com slash 108entertainment. Patreon.com slash 108entertainment. So this is season four, and I'm doing things a little differently. First and foremost, the episodes will now be released weekly on Monday mornings at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, unless otherwise stated or if I just kind of get behind. Uh, Also, since I started the show, I tried to model it after a traditional late-night talk show. There's an opening monologue, the guests, closing remarks, and then we're off with some music in between to show the differences. This year, I'm going to make the show a bit more guest-centric, even though it's always been more focused on the guests, but I kind of talk a little bit too much sometimes, so... This year, I'm going to be cutting my monologue. It's literally just going to be a few opening statements introducing the guest, then the guest, and a brief closing. For anyone who wants to hear my thoughts on either the topics or just general 10-8 thoughts or whatever, check out the earlier mentioned Patreon account, and that's where friends of the podcast can get at least two bonus episodes each month with me kind of flapping my gums and talking more. Uh, Some will include a bonus guest, but some will just be me. So if that's your thing, go ahead and check out the site. Either way, uh, it may be something you want to check out. You know what I mean? Um, again, the guests, the reason you guys are here in the first place, they're still going to be here free 100%. But if you want a little bit extra, go to Patreon and you can check it out there. Also, each week I'm going to dedicate the episode to any officer that died in the line of duty or by suicide that prior week. If you want a specific officer mentioned at the beginning of the show each week, please email me at the 108 podcast at gmail.com. I try to get everything from odmp.com. Of course, officer suicide is not listed on there. So if there's a if you lose an officer to suicide, please let me know specifically um, because that may be the only way that I can find out. Um, so please, please let me know and I'll be happy to honor them with the episode. Now that all that opening day housekeeping stuff is out of the way, let's talk about today's guest for the show. This, let me tell you, when I got this gentleman to agree to be on the show, it was one of the most exciting things that I've accomplished since starting this show uh, four years ago now. So completely honored, and you guys are going to really get a lot from this episode, and hopefully if you've never heard of my guest up to this point, you go check him out, buy his books, listen to him talk. Absolutely phenomenal. Continues to just wow me each and every day. So, without any further ado, let's go ahead and introduce my guest for today. My guest is Dr. John Deloney. Dr. Deloney is a national best-selling author, mental health expert, and the host of the Dr. John Deloney Show. Since 2020, John has served at Ramsey Solutions, where he teaches on relationships, mental health, healthy leadership, and emotional wellness, all things that law enforcement can benefit from. He has also spent two decades in crisis response, walking with people through severe trauma. John holds two PhDs in counselor education supervision and higher education administration. His two books, Redefining Anxiety and Own Your Past, Change Your Future, were both absolutely profound in changing my perspective on a lot of stuff in my recent past. He also has a third book, Building a Non-Anxious Life, that was released five days ago on October 3rd. I actually bought it on pre-order. 
Absolutely amazing. You guys got to go check it out. After you hear him speak on this episode, you're going to want to buy all of those books, subscribe to his podcast, add him on Instagram, even name your first son after him. Okay, well, maybe not that much, but maybe. I mean, my dad's name was John. His first son was named John. So, I mean, it might happen. John's a common name. But anyway, that being said, the man is profound. He's provocative. He gets you thinking. He's a family man. He loves punk rock. He wants to make sure you live the absolute best life you can. So without further ado, here he is, the blueprint for a better life, Dr. John Deloney, here on the 10-8 Podcast. All right, here we are. We have the man himself, Dr. John Deloney. Thank you so much for joining us today. You got it, man. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. This is a very exciting conversation, and I've uh, been looking forward to it. So uh, before we go too far down the rabbit hole, as we were saying, um, just go ahead, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself for everyone that may not know who you are, and then uh, we'll kind of get into some some topics. Um, I'm John Deloney. I work here at Ramsey Solutions with... Um... Dave Ramsey and a team of folks, and um, we cover everything from finances to mental health to work and everything in between. And I got two little ones, and I've uh, been married for, God, forever, it seems like. And um, I am the son of a uh, homicide detective, SWAT hostage negotiator, and then I've spent time working, um, in addition to my, my roles over the last 20 years at universities, um, working side-by-side with police departments and security departments, and then ultimately running crisis response and victim services units there in, in Texas before I came out here. So um, most of my career has just been been spent showing up when um, the wheels fall off and when people are hurting and um, helping them figure out where to go next. And so um, now we're just doing that on podcast and, and YouTube and on on the radio and going from there. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, that's great. Obviously, my audience is primarily law enforcement, first responders, and, and people that also show up when the wheels fall off. So uh, your experience in that realm is going gonna, is gonna to be very great. Um, what would you say, just to go right into it because you brought it up, when you were responding when things were falling off, what did you – to kind of survey the field and how things were going, how did that affect you? Because like when you show up and you're kind of putting everyone else's pieces together, did that cause you to have your own pieces fall apart? I had a I have a a strange relationship with it, and um, this isn't a conversation I normally can have because um, if you if you aren't responding, then you don't know this this conversation might sound insane. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggled mightily from like like was buried low with deep anxiety that ultimately turns into depression, all sorts of other things. Um, the first year or two I spent, you know, I was a dean of students at a law school and then I was just on call 24 seven for the city. And man, you show up to somebody's house and a police officer hands you a pair of rubber gloves and says, Hey, we got to clean this bathroom up before mom gets home. And then you're the first one to meet mom in the front yard and let her know that her kid's no longer like it, it had a for me, especially in the first year, it had a leveling effect I didn't expect. This was the worst that could happen, and anxiety is so future focused in this in your body's obsession with what could happen. And here I was, right in the middle of what did happen. And so for me, it had initially a, um, a, a almost a therapeutic effect, a healing effect. There was something about showing up in the worst of the worst, and then realizing these moms and these dads and these brothers and sisters. The sun came up the next day, and it was dim, and that sun was dark, but it came up, 
And mm-hmm. it, so that, so initially it was, it was helpful over time. Um, man, you take enough of those calls and you clean enough body parts up and you move enough bodies. Um, and you tell enough parents, their kids have passed away. It, you can't, I, I can't help but take that stuff home. And there's, I've gotten multiple stories, but a couple of them, I, I, I went home and I lit, I, you know, at 2 a.m., 3 a.m. And I would just get my, the way it worked for me is I would just have my phone and I'd get a text message and it'd say 1087, um, which was the, the code in that di- district for a, someone had, had passed away and an address. And so I don't know if I'm showing up to a five-year-old who's passed away or a 95-year-old who's passed away. And, um, couple times I came home at two or three in the morning and I went straight in my son's room who was a young kid at the time and I would half wake him up and just hold him and just hug him and I, I needed his head on my chest I needed to feel him and because um, I just dealt with a child and then I would he, he wouldn't even remember it and then I'd go get back in my bed and go to sleep and it was always those funny moments that my my wife would wake up in the morning and she'd be like how'd you sleep and she has no idea I was mm-hmm. gone for four mm-hmm. hours doing this you know and, and and I hear that over and over so it's isolating and suddenly you realize that your kids don't know what your life is actually experiencing your coworkers don't know what you saw last night your spouse doesn't know what you saw last night and so um, I was just really blessed with a great great supervisor just one a one in a million guy who um was very intentional about getting us plugged in asking us hard questions, making sure we had community and, and, and moving on there. So it got heavy after a while, um, as it does for everybody. Um, and then it was up to me to make sure I was doing the things that, that kept me well. Absolutely. And, you know, from my personal experience, so just to kind of, my, my listeners probably heard this a million times, but uh, I was a police officer for six and a half years. Um, I served on the road. I worked narcotics. I worked crime scene investigations as well. So I kind of saw everything. You know, plenty of deaths, plenty of gruesome scenes. And then I was moving to a new agency. And in the summer that I was doing that, I had uh, a friend of mine get killed in the line of duty. I had uh, my sister suddenly pass away. And then also I had a friend of mine take his life in response to the officer involved shooting. All of that within the span of three months. So I decided I couldn't do it anymore. I didn't have the heart in uh, law enforcement anymore. So I went to dispatch. And so now I'm a police dispatcher. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you very much. So that being said, like I definitely recognize everything that you've said regarding your story. And I know people listening obviously have as well. I think something that you may have felt maybe yourself and obviously being the son of a, of a homicide detective, it takes a certain kind of person to be in this position to whether it be a law enforcement officer, a firefighter dispatcher, or someone just coming out as someone to deal with the crisis in your experience, what is that? What what makes up people to want to go out there and go out in other people's darkest hours? Um, I let me let me back up for for one quick second. I I want you you pointed to, you alluded to something. I want to make sure we pointed out. We 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 add, and I'm saying we, and I, I'm not a first responder anymore, and so it's almost I, I don't want to disrespect that community, but saying we we almost have a hierarchy of quote unquote who can take it and who can't. And I just hate that because there are some people that can just show up night after night and deal with the blood and the guts and the tears. And you've been hugged by a mom who lost a kid. It's a different kind of hug. It's a hug that exists nowhere else. And um I used to I used to practice MMA for years and those big dudes would hold me down and squeeze. It was nothing like being squeezed by a mom, right? who just lost a kid. And so 
to say that some people uh, it's like saying everyone should be the center of a basketball team or everyone should be a point guard. That's just not how people are wired. It's not people are built. It's not people are developed. And so um, good for you for dispatch. I could never in a million years do dispatch. <laughs> mm-hmm. You got 500. It's like a air traffic controller for humans, right? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you've got all these people everywhere and your, your heart is in every one of those patrol cars. Uh, move Right. So I could never do that. Um, I wish I could tell you. I remember calling my dad the first time I had to clean. How how direct can I be on this podcast? As direct as you want. Um, You're good. The first time I ever, um, a a young man had taken his life and um, we were cleaning up the scene before mom got home and we had beat the cleaning crew and mom was going to beat the cleaning crew. So we just, we, we took care of it. And I remember calling my dad and saying, Hey, that was the first time I ever saw brain matter before. Mm -hmm. And he said, man, you shouldn't be seeing that. And I said, "I, I know it's just part of the job. And, um, I asked him, I said, what do you, what do you do when you figure out the best thing, the, the greatest skill you have on the planet? The one thing you're pretty good at is telling people the worst possible news in the worst possible moment. And he got kind of quiet and he said, um, be really grateful that you found your calling and then honor it. Be, be, be an, be of honor in that moment. And I also remember the great shame moments, um, when, I had my daughter was little. We had we had three miscarriages in a row, me and my wife. And then out of nowhere, before I went and got my, I was just going to go get get um, go to my appointment and get my snip snip. And I and I was late to the appointment. And I, I mean, I missed the appointment the first one. And um, then all of a sudden, wife's pregnant again, and that's my daughter. She's seven now. She's a human hurricane. Mm-hmm. But I remember when she was two, uh, one or two, I I walked out on my partner twice with two different um, response calls we had to little little kids. And I remember leaving, say, I gotta go. I gotta, I can't be in this room. And my partner, Janice, she was like, you can't leave me here. And I was like, I, I don't think you understand. I gotta go. And she, I remember we had a uh, debrief afterwards and she's like, I'm proud of you. Um, that's why we, there's two of us. Right. But I, I had to, I had to step out and then I had to say, Hey, I gotta quit taking these kids calls for a season when I got a little one. And, um, it was a humbling yet I found my limitations and I wasn't ashamed about them. I wasn't embarrassed by them. I wasn't in, in that moment, but afterwards I was, it, it, it was what it was. So to tell you, I don't know what the magic sauce is. I just know that my experience has been, there's a dead body, a group of people will lean in and a mm-hmm. group of people will instinctively pull away. And if you're going to do this work over a long period of time, the job is you lean in. And so um, I don't care how tough you are, how cool you are. If you're a lean in kind of person, it will affect you over time. And so you got to do those things to take care of yourself. And if you begin to lean in and begin to lean in and you are haunted. You can't breathe. You can't sleep. You find yourself screaming at your wife or your husband. You are spending recklessly. You're drinking yourself into a hole. Stop. Your life isn't worth that. Find another opportunity to serve like you have, like other people have. There's so many opportunities to serve. Um, but just know your limitations, man. I, I yeah. wish I had a secret sauce. I wish there was just like a, a like a test you could take. Man, I'm the most passive, quiet, <laughs> knuckleheady guy. And to think that that would be my thing is is kind of weird. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. So I, I don't think you can tell. I just don't think you can tell. Right, right. And I, I have, I believe I'm cut from similar cloth. Up until in the police academy, I've always been that laid back kind of, just kind of go with the flow kind of guy. And then I thrust myself in this, you know, high level, high intensity environment. And even for a long time, my friends were like, "This, this isn't you." Um, but then it slowly and and rapidly at the same time became me. Um, But what you said just then really kind of put a flag up for me when you're saying like, as the time wears on you and you start having these reactions to this Mm -hmm. uh, environment. And that's where we see 
a lot of issues in the first responder community where, you know, you start one, one of the ways, one of the analogies was given to me is like you leave the house every morning with a fishbowl on top of your head. And every time you interact with someone, you take a call, you, you know, go see a dead body or whatever it might be. You put pebbles in that fishbowl. And then as time goes on, you got to try to like get those pebbles out, but you keep piling them on whatever. Eventually that fishbowl is going to topple over and you're going to have a whole mess to clean up. What I want to ask you is as police officers start putting pebbles in that fishbowl, all the, all the stuff's coming home with them. What are some signs that they should look for when it's like, Hey, things are kind of getting a little too much. And what can they do to start to counteract that? And where does that all come from? From my experience, um, a, a two of the top indicators are when you say the words, if they would just, and I don't care who they is, and I don't care what just is. When you just start distilling the world down into a series of um, very simplistic responses to situations, um, that's when your body is trying to make sense of chaos and it's doing it in a way that is, um, often imaginary. It's not real. Um, if the fed would, if the fed would just do this, then half of the U S economy would topple over. And so they have to like crank up this side and then run around to the other side and crank this mm-hmm. side up and then turn around the other side and crank this side up. So it, it becomes very simplistic. So when you're, when you're find your thinking reduced to blame, pointing fingers and saying if they um anytime i start saying the word if they if they if they i instantly have to go to the mirror and ask myself what am i contributing to whatever i'm feeling right now because mm-hmm. that means I, that means my body is taking over for me and it's outsourcing the pain and frustration it's trying to come up with it with an enemy it's important to know when our brains feel super stressed and feel when fight or flight is kicked in our rational thinking is over that's why we train and train and train and train so that when um, fight or flight takes over for a, for an officer, the training kicks in because your rational thinking is not. It's hard, man. It is hard. It, your brain unhooks it. It doesn't want you seeing if that's a nice tiger at the front of the cave. It just wants you to run, right? When it does that, it divides the world up into us's and them's, who's on my team and who's not. And suddenly your neighbor, suddenly that kid who's listening to this kind of music, that guy with this many tattoos, that guy with this skin color, it divides the world up and we lose track that the media is pumping the stuff into our head, our idiotic partners pumping the stuff into our head, our parents who keep watching all these conspiracy theories are pumping the stuff into our heads. And so our us's and them's are often wildly misguided. So that's number one is really paying attention to when the word if they would come out comes out of our mouth and asking ourselves like, OK, if we went to, to four twelves instead of five tens, would would really my marriage suddenly just fix itself? no. Would I suddenly just start sleeping again? No. You'd still run into the same, right? So you you go with you wherever you go. Um, the second big one is, um, and, and this is just, at, not, not every person's got a faith community, so I, I'm, I'm saying this loosely, but when God starts hating all the same people you hate, when you start attaching existential weight to um, the they's, Right. When when your prayers are, I want those people to then you that's another side you got an issue. Mm-hmm. And then let me add a third one. When you stop moving your body, when you stop talking to other people, or the only people you talk to are other cops, that's that's your entire universe. When you start keeping secrets from your spouse, like I not secrets like my wife and I had an agreement. She didn't want to know about all the gore and all that stuff. But when I intentionally don't let her know that 
hey, I had a side conversation with my friend's wife's sister, and that you know she made me laugh. She's kind I'm not gonna tell my like I start hiding from my wife, start hiding from my husband. Um, when you start circling your own wagons, that's a big sign, right? Mm-hmm. When somebody says, "Hey, have you talked to anybody?" and your first response is, "I don't need to," yeah, you do. That's that's the signal, right? Okay, so all three of those things um, bear heavy weight with me, so I'm going to start going back through them. Uh, actually, I on my way home today, I was listening to your book, and we were you were just getting to the part talking about the importance of relationships and you know having your tribe, having your your crew, and um, kind of going back all the way to the prehistoric days and, and the importance of that. Can you go ahead and kind of dive in a little bit and what that means to us, kind of? psychologically the importance of having people that you can rely on and what that does for you. I mean, you could, you could wear a, like a Garmin watch or an Apple watch or a whoop strap and you could check your pulse rate when you roll into a house, when you're going to kick a door in and you've got a team of six guys with you versus responding to a call all by yourself. It's going to be higher when you're by yourself because your body knows you're all you've got and it cranks up the cortisol and it cranks up the adrenaline a little bit higher. And if you back out and we forget this because it's just our life now. But 5000 years ago, if you woke up on the plains of Florida, there in Sarasota and your tribe had left you, you were probably going to die. You're probably going to die of exposure or of starvation or trying to find fresh water. You weren't going to make it. And so your body would channel every ounce of energy it had, every bit of focus it had into finding your tribe and finding other people. And it's not going to let you sleep all the way. It's not going to let you go into that deep restorative REM sleep or deep sleep. It's just not going to, it can't afford to, because you have to keep watch. You have to be vigilant and you have to find food and you have to find rest. And so it's going to just hedge its bets on all these things. Absolutely. You're not going to be interested in sex or long-term romance. You're trying to not die, right? You're going to, you're going to eat crappy, cheap calories to get you to the next thing of the next thing. You're not going to want to sit down and have these, slow digested meals that are healthy and sustaining you're going to go for twinkies and you're going to go for Mm. mcdonald's you're going to go for mcdonald's because it's just going for cheap calories to get me the next thing and so you look at the common officer who is working 412s or 510s they're exhausted they get up they go to their briefing and then it is solid calls dealing with other people's trauma i've never heard the fishbowl analogy the one i used to tell people is the backpack and you're filling it up with other people's rocks and bricks all day. That's your job is to, to, to walk into these moments and somebody hands you a brick and says, solve this 1016, solve this domestic for me, solve this. I can't find my kids, solve this. My, my dad just died, solve all this stuff. And then you got to go home and go to little Timmy's baseball game. And then you got to go to suddenly you wake up, man, you don't have any friends anymore. Or the friends you have are the guys that you're running shift with. And those are coworkers. And so you can't say, I'm really struggling with pornography right now. I'm really drinking too much because they have an an obligation to tell somebody that ends up in a file. And so you end up with these relationships where you're not fully being honest with anybody. You're hedging your bets across the board. You're keeping secrets. And then suddenly you've gained 40 pounds. Suddenly you're just grumpy. Suddenly you're just harassing the new crop who just came in. You're complaining about everything. And then you're wondering why your knees hurt and your back hurts and your neck, right? See, it's just this, con- it's just this track. Mm-hmm. Um, and every single first responder I know, I, I, not, that's not very few of them can get off that track. And so it's, where can you start on the front end? And it's hard to have friends mm-hmm. um, when that's what you're seeing all day. And they just want, <laughs> they want to tell you, 
man, today at my HVAC job, there was a customer and she was rude. And it's like, oh, yeah, well, I, I moved four bodies today, right? Mm-hmm. So there is a, a challenge with reintegrating into just human society. But here's the deal. Your body won't sleep. Your body's not going to be interested in sex and recreation. Your body's not going to be interested in taking care of itself. It's just trying to survive. And the goal here is to how can we create a world that is non-anxious for our bodies? How can we create a world where our bodies aren't in survival all the time? And this is the key so that we can show up and do our jobs really, really well. We can show up to the gnarliest, wildest situations, be as clear-headed as we possibly can, be thoughtful, be helpful and supportive and caring and then circle back and then do those things again that are going to keep our bodies well. It's, do we treat our cars better than our bodies? Mm-hmm. We change the oil. We put gas in them. And we don't do that to our own bodies. You know what I mean? Right, right. Absolutely. So where – obviously the importance of having those relations. But where do we go for ourselves? How do we start that process? And and let's say we're we're catching it late. What if we're, you're the – you're the guy in the middle of his career and realizing that I have gone down this path for too long. Uh, I am overweight. I've got all these bad addictions that I've used as crutches and coping mechanisms for everything I've dealt with up to this point. Where do we start? What would you say would be the, you know, beginning steps to getting life back on track? Um, the great David Kessler, who's a, a world-renowned grief expert. I, I love what he says. He just he says it's very simply: grief demands a witness. And all grief is is the gap between what I hoped would happen, what I thought would happen, what should happen, and what actually happened. And I remember driving home at 4 in the morning after dealing with something and just seeing all the lights off at the homes, just driving through a suburban neighborhood. And I remember thinking, this community and these million-dollar houses have no idea what's going on in their communities after hours. They have no idea what's happening in these houses. None. They have no, they're just all asleep. And then I go to my suburban house and get in bed, and I realized – Oh, I don't know what's going on in my neighborhood in the middle of it, right? There's there's this lonely, there's just this isolation, and it shouldn't be this way. We shouldn't show up to a house and someone's taking their life with their dad's AK, and now there's a mess and there's a grieving mom. It shouldn't be like that, and it is. And so grief demands a witness. I got to find somebody and sit down and say, hey, here's what I saw, and it hurts, and I don't like it, and it makes me scared for my kids. It makes me scared for my neighborhood. And I hate it. There's something r- remarkably therapeutic and not therapeutic in the woo sense in very much physiological, neurological healing sense. Um, one great gift that I got that my my um, supervisor, Dr. Young, used to all he used to always call us on the gnarly ones and he'd say, tell me exactly what you saw. What are you feeling right now? How are we doing? And it was always a, a, a free place to speak and. I knew without a doubt there was no records being kept of that conversation that wasn't going to go in a file somewhere. Um, he had full trust with the department. So um, there's something about having somebody that you can trust. And I do think this. I think um, departments across the country have failed in that pretty pretty massively, giving people a safe place to say something. Because the person they tell you to go talk to is your supervisor. Who's going to go tell their supervisor they're struggling right. or they're not sleeping or their wife is about to leave them? No one's going to say that because you're going to get pulled off shift and stuck at a desk. And then you're going to have to go through all this, these tests and all. No one's going to do that. So you got to either the department has to have the courage and the strength. The, the department I was a part of was magic. They had a guy named Dr. Young who was a, who was, uh, uh, a, a counselor and, and a psychology professor at a local university. But he was highly, highly trusted. And he everybody knew he kept no records. 
and his he didn't he did not have a direct line back to the supervisor authority. So someone could come tell him my marriage is falling apart and I'm drinking too much, and he could sit down and have that conversation, and they knew it wasn't going to cost him. Mm-hmm. Um, he'd also tell you you need to make a report. You got 48 hours. You you got to take a break. Um, and but they trusted him enough that when he pulled the plug like that, it was very rare, and they listened to him. Right. But most part departments don't have that. You either have to do that or you have to go on your own and go call somebody in the local community who's a psychologist or a therapist or a counselor and say, I need some help. And you got to go talk to somebody. Um, and if you don't have that, you're just choosing. I am, I am affirmatively choosing to have a more miserable marriage. I'm affirmatively choosing for my kids to probably not want to be around me because I'm going to be very tough to be around after all the stuff I see and do. I'm choosing to die young. And I just, now I'm, I'm at a point now, what a, what a, what a waste. What a waste. Why would you waste your one precious life like that? Have a hard conversation. Tell somebody you're not okay. Um, tell somebody that I, I, seeing all these bodies is weighing on me. It doesn't mean you're going to not see bodies anymore, but it means that your body's going to have a chance to heal so that you can go do the work that you've been called to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and you said something very important, the trust factor. Because you can talk to anybody, but you're not going to have a true conversation unless you truly trust that person. That's a, yeah, exactly right. Yeah, um, you and and rightfully so. Um, officers and military folks and first response. I mean, it's hard to trust people because um, you see the worst out of, of folks every single day. I mean, you just see it all all day, every day. And so that trust is hard to come by, and that's super fair. That doesn't mean it's not right. It's hard to pack a healthy lunch instead of just running through Arby's drive-through. That's hard. That doesn't mean that your body's going to suddenly count calories different for you and that your heart's going to absorb, you know, um, all those chemicals differently. It's not. The cost is still going to be the same. You just have to do the hard, challenging thing. Right. And just we as humans typically go for that easier route as opposed to the difficult route because, again, when we're kind of in crisis, I like what you said because it's something I've said before, like – when you just need to get by, you're going to look for any caloric intake you can get just to get by. And the same thing for anything else. If you just need something that you think is going to get you by, you're going to look for whatever that instant gratification is because that's the quick and easy hit when really the slow burn is really what's going to get you what you need and what's going to be better for you. That's right. And it just means you have to take four minutes or seven minutes of prep on the front end. Right. And I'll also say this. Police officers are criminally underpaid, and I don't know very many who have chosen to live a life that they don't owe people a lot of money. They've got obnoxious car payments. They've got house payments. They've got all kinds of things trying to live a lifestyle, Uh, and I I grew up with this in my house with a dad who – it really struggled with reconciling every single day. I put on a bulletproof vest and go to work on behalf of my community. And they think I'm worth $19,000 a year, which is, I think he got paid back then. Mm. And there was a couple of times I wrote about in the book that he'd swipe his ATM card. He knew there was no money in that account, but he also knew he had three little babies at home that he had to get groceries for. And that was a tough psychological toggle for him. You're telling me that every single day I put my life on the line and my community doesn't think I'm worth groceries. And dude, we had one car, like, and we had a small house. It's not like we were living beyond our means. Um, but I see my friends in the first responder community way, way overextending themselves with the big Tahoe or the jacked up Jeep or the big truck and more um, guns than, come on, man. Mm-hmm. I love them too, but man. 
And suddenly you've got folks who owe 30, 40, 50, $60,000 in student loans and credit cards. Of course you're not sleeping at night. Your body knows if you get in one situation at work, you're going to lose your house. You're going to lose your cars. You're not going to be able to work. Of course you're not going to sleep all the way. Your body's trying to protect you because it detects threat. So there's something as, as, as challenging but as simple as pay off your debt. Don't owe anybody anything. Mm-hmm. Then when that supervisor keeps hassling you and hassling you and says, you're taking this shift too, you can go, no, I'm not. I'm going to go over to this precinct where because every precinct in America is hiring right now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go over here. And you've got peace, right? You don't owe anybody anything. So there's some simple things about I'm not going to fill my crazy calendar up. My kids, I'm not going to drive nine hours every Saturday for a soccer game for my nine-year-old. Um, I'm not going to do some of these things that we say are normal now. I'm not going to let my mother-in-law tell me what Thanksgiving is going to look like. I'm going to do what's best for our family. Me and my spouse are going to do what's best for our family. And we're going to begin creating a non-anxious life so that I can go do this chaotic, crazy job that I've been called to do. Mm -hmm. And that kind of allows you to have balance is basically what you're getting at is having that. If you can have calm, okay, the job is never going to be calm, right? That's literally we are the calm in the chaos. So if you can make every other aspect of your life that calm, then you have that respite when you leave work. It, it, it's got to be that intentional. And and I, I bristle at the word balance. I don't know that that's true. I think a better, um, I think a better word is control chaos. Mm-hmm. Raising kids is chaos. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's mayhem. So what are the variables that I can control there? Hey, you know what? I'm not going to make y'all do travel sports because it makes me feel better about myself as a parent. I'm not going to spend money on vacations that we don't have just because I have this YOLO syndrome. And I want to, I want you guys to have seen, Minnie Mouse 2 for the price of $7,500 for, you know, 12 hours or something you're probably going to forget most of. I'm not going to, you know what we're going to do? We're going to go camping. You know what we're going to do? We're going to sit outside and throw mud at each other. I had, the other day it was freezing cold and it was raining. And I said, hey, kids, y'all want to go jump on the trampoline? And their eyes got huge as though I just said, hey, y'all want cash? Because they're like, my dad's nuts. Let's go. Do, and we, they'll tell that story at my funeral about the time we were so cold and we were jumping on the trampoline and falling and slipping and being silly. And, um, that's what kids are desperate for. So let's create that house. Let's create a house with our spouse where every once a week we sit down and say, okay, what are sex days this week? What are meals? Like, let's go ahead and plan that out. What's our budget for the week? Let's be on the same page. How can I love you better this week? How can you love me better this week? Let's start that conversation. And I know, dude, I know nine, nine out of 10 people listening to this are like, you are crazy. Mm-hmm. That life sounds, mm-hmm. you sounds stupid. Here's the deal. You get to choose that life. You get to choose that life similar as you walk into somebody's house and they're methed out of their minds and you look at their mom and their dad and they love their kid desperately and their, and their kids just burning at both ends. And you tell them, Hey, you can choose another way. I want to take that same sentiment when you're in somebody's home and it's hot in there and you care about them and they just keep making these choices. You can go home to your house and make different choices too. And man, if you get a group of, first responders across the country who start creating a non-anxious life in their homes. And they just say, Hey, I chose to be a police officer. That means I'm going to be a Camry guy. I'm going to be a Camry guy. That's the, that's the car I can afford. And it's going to last me a decade. Every time I buy one, I've got my service Glock and I've got my, my two or three at home and my, my deer hunting rifle. I don't need 70. I don't need an arsenal. Like I, I work at a police station. I'm good. I don't need to buy $14,000 more. So start making some of these decisions to create a non-anxious life. Um, and you're going to find your ability to stay in the service job you're called to do 
um, infinitely, um, you're going to have infinite more patience and more peace in that job. Right. Because then at that point, you're not burning it at both ends. And and my dad was also a career police officer. He retired and uh, got sick. You know, he had heart problems because of all the stress he went through. And one thing I remember him saying to me, sitting, laying in a hospital bed late at night, he because I kind of inherited his work ethic. You know, I've worked a lot. And he said, don't burn the candle at both ends. You're going to burn mm. out. And he, you know, I, I should have listened to him sooner because I sure as hell did burn out. But, <laughs> um, you know, that's just unfortunately the nature of the beast. We don't always hear the, the right uh, path when it's presented to us. Um, but again, when you can make it so that way one side isn't burning, right? If you your home side is not anxious, it's not burning you, you're not freaking out about it, you're not stressing out about it. The stuff that will stress you out, the things that work, doesn't pay or doesn't have a, such a big toll anymore because that's, you know, it's more, I understand not wanting to use the word balance, but in that case, it's more balanced, whereas it's yeah. only on one side, not the other. My, my friend Will Gadera, he's a, a one of the world's best restaurateurs. He's out of New York. Um, he's a classic New York restaurateur. He's just the most lovely human you'll ever meet in your life, ever. Um he says that he tells his his wait staff when he's training them, um, you can't pour, you can't fill up your customer's water glass if your pitcher's empty. Mm-hmm. The first thing you do if you want to be a great server is go in the back and fill up your pitchers with your iced tea and your water, and then you can go out and serve. And I I want my, I want the folks who are going to be showing up in the middle of the night when my kid falls out of bed or when I'm having somebody break in and entering into my home. Um, I want those folks to have their pitchers completely full. It's easy to blame the system, and there are some massive systemic issues facing officers. Let's make no mistake about that. And also, we can make choices in our own homes to fill our pitchers up, right? Those are all choices that we can make. Mm-hmm. It's both Absol- and. That, that, yeah, that's that's a great point. That's also a uh, a saying that I've used a lot, and that that it kind of brings up that question of you know should a uh, true you know should someone eat first or last you know should the leader eat first or last and I always say like you need to take care of you first you can't you can't just always uh, delegate off to other people so I, I definitely agree with that well and like let's lean on that for one second yeah should the should the leader eat first or last the the leader should eat last and mm-hmm. that leader should have taken care of themselves both in their diet both in their exercise routine, both in their relationships, so that skipping a meal is no factor, means nothing. Mm-hmm. It's no problem at all because I don't have my body full of garbage and my blood sugar hasn't collapsed, and if I don't get a Snickers, I'm going to kill somebody, right? They, like A leader takes care of themselves so that when moments get lean, they, mm-hmm. they have no problem stepping to the back of the line, right? It's not a matter of – it's not a matter of I'm going to cut my arm off. And it, on, on a, sometimes the leaders get called to do that. But most of the time, it's I'm taking care of myself so that, right? I'm showing, I'm, I'm sending a message. Here's what, what taking care of yourself looks like and what it allows you to do. It allows you to go last. Mm-hmm. That's a great point. And that puts it into a lot of perspective because I feel like people will hear that. And I know I have up until this very moment. And they, it's almost like a sense of martyrdom. Like, oh, no, no, everyone go before me. But the truth is I've taken my taking care of myself so well up to this point that others can go and I can hold back. So that way they're okay too. And there's people rolling off shift. They haven't had time to take care of themselves. They've Mm -hmm. been 12 hours in the middle of it. You should go first. Y'all are starving. Go eat. Right. 
I've had an opportunity to take care of myself. I'm a leader. That's my job is to make sure I'm here. The la- the last at the last university I was at, um, I had one mark on my annual review, one negative, and that my boss. I'll never forget this man. My boss said, um, "You've got to stop running into every burning building." And I said, "What do you mean?" And because there wasn't, it was it was a figurative speech, but he said. Your whole career, you've been the first guy running in the door when something's going wrong. And now you're the executive leader. You've got people who do that for you. I need you here at Command Central. And that's those are my words. But I need you here being a strategic thinker while things are going sideways. Um, and so that's the leaders got to understand that their roles have, ch- have shifted and changed. And the leader, if the leader goes, then the, there's going to be chaos, man. So the leaders got to take care of themselves so that they can honor those other people. So th- this uh, this conversation of leadership kind of brings me to another question. Now, I'm always talking from line staff point of view because that's my experience. But I have a lot of people in leadership positions and they hear kind of the, the rank and file kind of griping and complaining or whatever. But he's like, they don't understand what it's like to be out out of the rank and file and having to make tough decisions and be in leadership. Can you kind of explain that a little bit? Because I feel like the rank and file has a lot of dissension and a lot of kind of um, issues with a lot of things being done at the executive level, just because they don't understand it. And can you kind of explain that and, and how, um, how you do need people back at command making those decisions? Not every leader can be in the field. Yeah. I, I, my experience has been, uh, I'll just tell you the, the best I've ever seen it done. Um, I don't think that the, Dissension is because you're over there and I'm over here. I don't think that's it at all. I think everyone understands you play third base, I play second base. That's why you're over there and I'm over here. Or you're the star pitcher and you make 15 times what I make. I wish I made that much, but I'm not the star. Like I think people get that intellectually. What they don't get is the leadership. I know information you don't know. Power by I know something you don't know. Mm-hmm. Power by I don't know why you're making these decisions. So here's the best I've ever seen it done. Um, I worked in universities for 20 years, almost 20 or 17 years. And um, then all of a sudden I took a hard right turn and I, I went to work for Dave Ramsey here. And I joined his radio show and I'm working here. And I took this job January 20th of 2020. And within three months, the entire world had gone sideways, completely shut down. We weren't allowed to go to work. And so we have a staff meeting every Monday morning. He gets all thousand employees in a room. And the goal here is I want everyone to see everybody else. So you don't suddenly start hearing like, well, you know, the detective division's doing this stuff and SWAT's doing this. And you start thinking, why SWAT get all the money? That's ridiculous. And the detectives just get, they don't work at all. And they get to wear regular street clothes. You get to see everybody's face and hear why they're doing the things they're doing. And it humanizes everybody. Mm -hmm. But here's what he did. When any business stops working, that means there's no money coming in, which means this business isn't going to be around very long. He had a conversation in person, and then it moved to an online staff meeting that we had until we were all allowed to come back in, into the office. And here's what he did. He, every meeting he started with, here is the cash position of this company. Here's how much money is in the bank. Here's how much money it's going to operate take to operate this company for this week. And then he said, as a reminder, there are zero layoffs planned. But if we have to, here's how they will go. Number one, me, I will not take a check. Number two, the operating board will not take a check. Number three, the senior executive vice presidents will not take a check. Number four, if we have to start laying off personnel, we're going to start over here. 
and he named the he, he called it out. He named the division. This is where we would start. And he said, if you are in that division and you understand that at fourth or fifth in line that you don't like that risk proposition and you feel like you need to get off the boat now, I we will help you get off. I understand. But, dude, there was no, none, no water cooler talk. I, hey, I heard that so-and-so is about to get fired. I've never seen layoffs happen. And I've had to lay off a million dollars worth of people before. I've n- I, I, I heard nothing. Everybody knew where everybody stood. And leadership went first. They took the hit first, which, I, which, I, which everybody appreciated. But everybody he said, I'm going to treat you like adults. Y'all are all adults here. And so I think that is the gap. So it may be 30 or 45 minutes. Now, I know it's hard if you're in a precinct and the mayor says you're not to tell anybody, chief. You can't say anything about what's happening. I get that. Um, but there's something about disclosure and there's something about transparency and there's something about um, in rank and file systems, you're not allowed to ask questions. You, you, you accept orders and move on. Mm-hmm. I think there's a place once a month, once every two or three weeks to say, I'm going to take an hour. What questions do y'all got? Let's shoot them. We're going to close the doors here. Um, any information that leaves here, I'm going to know somebody leaked it. I'm going to be honest as I can. Y'all ask your questions. I think things like that would go a thousand miles. Mm-hmm. Um, for 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 bridging that gap between leaders and disgruntled employees, mm-hmm. and it, again, and again it go- go, go, listen to this. Going back to the grief demands a witness. Sometimes rank and file just needs to feel heard. They just need to feel heard. It's important to say out loud every day. I'm going out there and I'm getting confronted on the street, and I'm just trying to do my job. I'm just trying to love my community. And everyone in the room shakes their head and goes, "Yeah, man, it's hard. This is a tough season to be a police officer. It's a tough season to be an EMS guy right now. Absolutely." Whew. I said it. I feel better now. Now I can get now. You see what I'm saying? Like grief mm-hmm. demands a witness. Mm-hmm. We're going to mm-hmm. say it. We're going to be together and then we're going to move on with our life. Yeah. And it goes back to what we were saying about trust too. When I can have that honest conversation with my supervisor, with my superior and know that it's safe. It's in this room that builds trust. And then that interpersonal relationship goes back to what we were saying about having your tribe and it kind of everything we were just talking about all kind of fleshes out and makes it a much healthier experience. That's exactly right. We'll be back to the interview right after this. If you're loving this episode, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on your streaming platform. Also, be sure to check out the new 10A Patreon account for bonus and exclusive content, as well as discounts on merchandise at patreon.com slash 108entertainment. And now, back to the show. So the other big thing that's going on in law enforcement, obviously, as we try to get more law enforcement officers um, comfortable with talking about their mental health and being well and things like that, is the backside of it, is the stigma. A lot of cops, you know, they don't want to because they're afraid of, like you're saying, getting put on a desk or things like that. What can be done or what have you seen done in other fields and other ways to avoid that stigma and kind of get over that? There's only one way. And I wish it was different, but I I travel the country and talk to leaders of big businesses and small businesses and first responders and behavioral services folks, everybody. There's one way to communicate to your team that it's okay to go get mental health care. And that's for the leader to announce to the team, I'm knocking off on Thursday at four o'clock because me and my wife are going to marriage counseling. You got to go first. Hey, guys, I've been really struggling with anxiety. Um, I'm just worried about stuff a lot. And so I'm gonna go talk to somebody. I just want to let y'all know, um, 
I'm going to talk to somebody. And if you ever need to go, you you let your shift supervisor know, and you knock off an hour early and go, go, um, get out of here. I need I need y'all well. And so you go do what it takes. Um, couldn't your people use that against you? Yeah, if they're cowards and they're going to run their mouth. But those people are cowards. They're going to run their mouth anyway. They're going to come up with a story about you. I'd much rather them coming up with a story that you're taking care of yourself. Um, and so leaders have to go first. They just have to go first. And then this, the, the distant second is they have to create a trail of safety. And not in a kumbaya, college, safe space kind of way. Like you can't hear any ideas that hurt your feelings. Not that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about I can go tell somebody – I cheated on my wife on shift and I screwed up everything now. And I'm terrified of what, ha- what comes next. And that's not going to go in some personnel file and ruin your career. Um, but you're going to be able to get the care that you need, that your wife needs, that your marriage needs, that your possible divorce is going to need, like whatever that you can have a place where you can go tell somebody you're not okay. And it's not going to show up in a personnel file. And I mean, everything you're saying just kind of, is compounding on the last thing we said. And it's just kind of proving that, you know, this all works together. It's all kind of, I like to use a basket metaphor. It all kind of weaves together and makes a a safe basket for everything. And for some reason, the word safe got, has become politicized Mm -hmm. and whatever, woke eyes, whatever. That's dumb. Mm -hmm. Like if if your body doesn't feel safe, it's not going to perform right. It's not going to perform well. Um, and so when you're when you're a first responder, you know I'm entering into unsafe spaces. I know that every single time. Um, that's why you're wearing a vest. That's why you got that belt. That's why you got multiple weapons on you. That you're entering into an unsafe space. That means you have to have an extra safe and warm home to come home to. That means your marriage has to be extra good. That means your buddies that are roommates with you because you don't have you're not married or anything. Y'all got to be in sync, man. Y'all got to talk and you got to say, hey, I got to get some sleep and you got to take care of your body. All those things contribute to a body that is not overstimulated, over dysregulated so that you can have some peace. Absolutely. All goes back to filling that pitcher, filling that pitcher so you can serve others. That's right. That's right. All right. Uh, well, I've got just a little bit left for you. First off, I, again, want to thank you very much. I've got uh, about t- 10 questions. These are like what I end my every episode with. Uh just kind of seeing where you're at with things and kind of facilitating a little bit more of the conversation. The first one I have, right, is, hey, and I talk too much, so just cut me off. If I know nope, you're, you're perfectly good here. Uh, <laughs> what's the best book you've read recently? Oh uh, man, you put me on the spot. Um, Courage is calling by Ryan holiday mm-hmm. and um, is a, is a masterpiece and dopamine nation by Anna Limke, L E M B K E. Those are two books that every officer should read. And the third one, I don't want to talk about it by Terrence real. That's one I reread every single year. Every oh. every every male should read that book, and their spouse should too. Okay, great. I I have Courage's Calling right there, and I don't have the other ones. I'm going to add that to my list. Um, what is something you do to ground yourself? <laughs> oh man, this is the woo woo portion. But I literally take my shoes off and I go walk around. I I live on a couple of acres outside of Nashville, and I go walk on my field um, barefoot. Um, I also lift weights barefoot every single day of my life. And so, um, those are the two things that get me grounded. What is it about being barefoot in those experiences? Um, if you want to just geek out for a while, you can, um, Google earthing or grounding. Uh, but long story short, I'm, I'm a big follower of evolutionary psychology and I'm a person of faith. So I don't think they're in contradiction, but our bodies over thousands of years have, landed at a place to take care of us and we just didn't have these big two inch rubber soled shoes disconnecting us from the earth all the time and our bodies are designed to 
have a little bit of dirt in our food and a little bit of dirt on our bodies and a little bit of uh, dirt between our toes. And we just overnight got real, real clean and real, real sanitized and real, real disconnected from reality, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's the difference between somebody who plays a lot of Call of Duty and thinks they know what it feels like when your heart is pounding out of your chest and you're whisper counting before you kick somebody's door in. Those are two. One is real and one is a video game. Um, that's kind of the difference between how we wear shoes and big, thick boots and we have disconnected ourselves from the earth. Nice. I, I like that. I didn't even think of that. Um, what is something that you do for self-care? I've got a counseling appointment on Friday and um, I don't miss a day of, of movement. And I'm not like some kind of beefcake. I'm not like Jocko. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, but I, I do exercise pretty regularly. Um, my wife and I have a once a week um, check-in time to make sure we're okay. And sometimes we're not, quite honestly. Sometimes we're not. Sometimes the check-in is the last thing on earth they want to do. The other two things that I do, um, I have uh, wrestling sessions with my kids. Um, it's r- Rough housing is good for kids. And I've got I've got an Olympic uh, roll-up Olympic wrestling mat in my living room. That's how lame we are. And we get done a roll around on it. Um, and then the other thing is um, touching my kids on the face. I've got a 13-year-old boy and I've got a 7-year-old girl, and I do it every single day of their life. I put my hands on either side of their face and I look them in the eye and I let them know of all the people in the world. I'm glad that God chose me to be your dad. Um, I feel like I won and, and they're going to get into crazy stuff and the world's going to come at them and they will never wonder if coming home is a safe place. They'll never wonder if my dad really loves me. And that's not, that's not a, it's not accomplished in a one-off. That's every single day. You keep putting money in the bank and money in the bank and money in the bank. Okay. Um, would you open up an envelope with your death date written inside? Absolutely. Why? Um, I, I know intellectually that there is one non-renewable resource and that is time. And I also waste a lot of time. I go so hard. I tend to toggle. I tend to go so hard and my body's like, all right, we're counting down to three, two, one, and then we're out. <laughs> and so no. I, I have a toggle between going really hard and, and collapse and going really hard and collapse. And um, I'd want to know. Uh, I want to know how much time we got. Okay. Uh, would you be friends with yourself? Oh, time out. Also, here's the other honest answer. I've just shown up in too many scenes where the person um, who's hugging me, who I'm having to let, let them know that their husband's passed away, that their wife is gone, they've too many times they've said, I just want one more conversation. I just want one more conversation. And so, yeah, if I knew the date, then I'd have that one more conversation. Yeah. That's preaching the choir with that one. I understand that one. Um, would you be friends with yourself? Um, that's what I'm working on. That's what I'm working on. Um, I recently had, um, some listener feedback on my show. I solicited some listener feedback and, that was almost number one. One that was number one, number two, was for a guy that's so compassionate, empathetic about the crap people are going through. You sure talk bad about yourself, and that was a that was an important call out. So I'm learning to like myself and not run from myself. Hmm. Okay, I I can kind of relate to that as well. So I'm going to hit you with the second part of that question. How would you define the word friendship? Um, it's easy. It's the things I can tell. I can tell somebody the hard stuff. I can tell them the good stuff, and man, we suck at that. Like, imagine if do you have kids. I I have a my girlfriend has a daughter. Okay, imagine your daughter your daughter gets um a part in a play. Do you have any male friends you could call and just be like, "Hey, dude, Rachel got the part in the play." No, you don't. I guarantee <laughs> you don't. None right. of us do. And so, 
Do we have people? Hey, I got a huge raise. I talk, I wrote about it in one of the books. Um, my buddy, the, my, my most stable friend on earth that I have, like that guy's going to have a job forever. He got laid off. His bank got sold and he was an exec and he got sold. And on that same day, I'd found out that I made the, the bestseller list. And so when he called to tell me, dude, my bank just got sold. And I was like, does that mean you're rich? And he goes, no, that means I don't have a job. And I was like, oh, that sucks. I made the bestseller list. And in that one phone call, he was able to tell me the, the hard stuff. And I was able to tell him the good stuff. And he wasn't like, oh, come on, man. He, dude, he totally celebrated. He made fun of me as he should. Um, and then he celebrated. So that's the two. The third one is, can you tell somebody the dark stuff? Who hurt you? The childhood abuse. Your dad kept hitting you. Your mom left. Who can you tell those things to? And they're still going to love you anyway. And then the fourth one is who do you share experiences with, man? Who's that person that you've done scary things with, hard things with, that you go camping with, that you can spend a few days with, that you are roommates with, whatever. You got to share experiences with people. Gotcha. Those are the four. Yeah. And, you know, it's definitely the the good stuff. When we're talking about self-talk, that's where it kind of goes off. I always, <laughs> when I'm in the gym or when I'm doing whatever, I'm, I always talk to myself like I'm a drill sergeant. You know, I'm just kind of beating myself down and I've gotten better at kind of facilitating the goodness but that's definitely the hard one or dude I, I i i walked out of the house without something the other day i forgot it and dude the string of expletives that came out of my mouth directed solely at me mm-hmm. because i was stupid and i was an idiot what kind of freaking dad do i think I, I mean it was it was dude if i heard somebody talking to the 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 you know the, the woman at the grocery store like they were talking to me i would go to jail and my wife and boss would bail me out with a smile on their face because they'd be like, that's right. You should have knocked that dude's teeth out. That's how I, I talk to myself like that all the time. <laughs> and um, it, it was actually this, the a neuroscience buddy of mine who was like, hey, your body can't distinguish between who's telling who's telling that story. It just responds. Mm. And that shame has a physiological consequence. So when you talk to yourself that way, I'm too fat. I'm a loser. I'm disgusting. I'm gross. I'm going to the gym because I'm a fat. Whatever words you're saying to yourself – your body's responding to that, and you are making an affirmative choice to die sooner. And, dude, I'm not going to do that. Time's too precious, man. Yeah, absolutely. Everyone listening, take take note of that. I just did. Um, what do you want from other people? Uh, man, I want people to seek peace. Stop seeking to be right. We have a culture obsessed with being right, and that means we have a culture obsessed with people fighting and hating each other. That's just stupid, man. Um, I have a friend named Ian Simpkins. He's extraordinary. And his, he gave me a great quote. He said, whatever you think your hate is doing, love can do better. And I can think of no, no truer statement than that. Mm -hmm. People to seek peace instead of seeking, um, the higher, the higher position. Sure. What sort of impact are you looking to make and how do you make it? Um, I think that, um, the way we talk about mental health care in this country is, is nuts. I think that it's also, um, and this is a broad generalized brush here, but it's been overly feminized. It's been overly kumbaya And so um, the impact I'm trying to make is to look men and women in the eye and say, hey, it can look different. And I'm not anything special. And I'm just a dad trying to figure it out too. And um, here's the stuff I'm doing to take care of myself and my family. And I've sat with a lot of people and I've got a ton of education. But more importantly, I'm just trying to figure this out too. And so I'm trying to provide a, a picture. I think most of us know the life we are living isn't working. We know that it's not working. Um, the life our parents was living is not working. The life our government's trying to sell us is not working. The challenge is we don't have another model of what 
to do next. And so we go to Instagram, we go to whatever to try to get the model. And so what I'm trying to do is put a picture out there. of This is what well looks like. How do you define the word happy and what makes you happy? Um, happy is cocaine and cotton candy. It's a, it's a, it's a terrible dance partner. Um, happiness is a feeling on the journey of uh, on a life well lived, right? These are snapshot moments. When you start chasing happy, that's when you get yourself in trouble. Um, a quick story. My, my granddad, I think I wrote about this in the book too. My granddad passed away at 93 or 94 and he had what I call life's great privilege. He got to FDD. He got to fall down dead. He was 94, got up to go to another room and stood up from his recliner. And that was it. Just, just left. No cancers, no heart issues, not sitting in the hospital for five months, a world war two vet. I mean, a total gangster dude. He was awesome. And he just, he just peaced out. And at his funeral, um, Everybody was there playing taps and it was a real emotional time. He was a beloved guy and everyone was going to lay a rose on his casket. And my son was two at the time and he, or maybe three and he wiggled away from me and he sprinted over and grabbed a rose and he, he climbed up on the casket and he put the rose up there. And it was this moment where there was four generations of Deloney men, my granddad, my dad, me, and then my little boy, None of my cousins um, have sons, and so he's the only – he's the last Deloney. And um, it, there was nothing happy about that moment, but there was a deep and profound joy because it was right. That was a man who lived a life well lived, and he lived into his 90s, and he had four great kids, and he served his country, and he served his community, and he served his church, and then he, then he left. And it was right. There was nothing happy about that, but it was joyful. And so I seek joy with all I got. And joy means I'm going to go do the hard thing. I'm going to go exercise. I'm going to go tell my wife that I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm going to tell my kids. The other day I was super grumpy putting together something. And the following day my son came home. And my son's huge. He's a freaking nature. He's humongous. And I grabbed him by the face and said, hold on, hold on, hold on. Come here. And he's like, what, Dad? And I looked at him in the eye and said, yesterday I was really grumpy. And I need you to hear me. That had nothing to do with you. That had to do with your dad's tired and your dad's running himself into the ground. And I loved you. And one of the greatest things about yesterday was I got to build that thing with you. And so I'm going to tell my kids I'm sorry, right? That's not happy. Nobody's happy about that. But that brings me joy is being in sync with the relationships that are most important to me. Um, and so I, what makes me happy? I don't know. UFC fights make me happy. Chappelle specials make me happy. I mean, those are fun. Those are snapshots. Um, but I don't seek those things out. I seek out joy. Mm, I like that. I, I like the way you put that. And the last one I got for you today, what do you think is the meaning of life? It's the meaning of life. Wow. To love God and love others. And there's no greater love than to lay your life down for a friend. Mm. Yeah. And who's my friend? My friend is my neighbor. Who's my neighbor? Everybody. Perfect. Well, sir, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your insight. This is absolutely amazing. Is there anything else you'd like to say to my listeners or anything, anything we may not have covered? Um, yeah, I'll say this. As a civilian, just a regular civilian knucklehead with two knucklehead little kids and a wife who drives a Highlander too slow down the street, um, please don't quit. Please don't quit. We need you. Um, the whole world's turned on you. Please don't quit. Please hang in there and know that there's a group of civilians trying to make this thing right. Um, and we love you. We love you. Love you. Love you. Love you. Perfect. All right, Dr. John Deloney, this has been an amazing conversation. I want to thank you so much. Thank you, my brother. I'm, I'm grateful for your hospitality, dude. Absolutely. Anytime. Uh, everyone listening, stay tuned. We will wrap this up. 
Life is not easy. We try and try, but we can't outsmart life and the various problems that come to us. And we try to be prepared, but you know what? Sometimes life catches us off guard. And that's why it's important to take care of your mind, take care of your body to infinity and beyond. But sometimes, a lot of times, life still seems to trip you up. And then it kicks you when you're down. I just hope that each and every one of you guys listening to this uh, making the best decisions when you're faced with some shitty decisions to make. Remember, sometimes the best decision isn't the easy decision. may not even seem like the right decision at the time, but you got to look long-term. I think a lot of us look short-term, and that's where we get into a lot of problems. Um, sometimes we think that, oh, this is only going to affect us, and it affects people way down the line, and it affects us way down the line as well. So please keep that in mind, and... Um, I'm speaking from experience here. Uh, Like I said, sometimes the best decisions aren't always the easy ones. Don't even seem like the right ones. So uh, life's tough. Hopefully this episode helps. Hopefully some of the episodes that I have of similar topics help and uh, can guide you along the way. Listen, that's basically all I got for you guys today. Once again, I want to give a very special thank you to my guest, Dr. John Deloney, and everybody over at Ramsey Solutions that made this conversation happen. Uh, just blew me away with the experience. Completely honored and grateful for this experience to have. I also want to let you guys know of an experience that I had just a few days ago. I was very fortunate enough to fly up to Nashville this past week with the lovely Mrs. 10-8. And we went to the book release party for Dr. Deloney. Got to meet him, hear him speak, listen to his band. It was all great stuff. And I just have to say, J- Dr. Deloney is a very insightful person. And we just had an amazing experience at the entire event. And something I learned, or not learned, noticed when I was sitting there listening to him talk. And I never really figure this out until that moment but like you have these people that talk you know like Jocko Goggins Andy Frisella Sean Whalen and for one reason or another I enjoy them they're very entertaining they say good things I've read their books I'm I'm in you know but something about it just couldn't get me over that hump you know I, I just I don't know maybe I'm not as in your face as those guys I don't know exactly what it is but you have Dr. Deloney And I truly feel like he and I are kindred spirits, cut from the same cloth of human. We're imperfect. We try our hardest, but sometimes sometimes we fuck up. Sometimes life kicks us when we're down, like I was saying. And sometimes we just screw up. Flat out, we screw up. We do the wrong thing. Um, But we're trying to better ourselves, better the world around us. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's the punk rock thing. I know Jocko's into punk. I don't know what it is. I really don't know. But I feel like Dr. Deloney... Is uh, is who I see myself being in in many many years. He's just amazing guy. I truly relate relate to what he does, what he says, and there's that. I think you all need to check him out. If he didn't win you over by this conversation, hopefully my little testimonial just there did. Amazing guy. So please go sh- be sure to find him on Instagram, all the social medias. He's got great content on there. Little snippets of what he does uh, around the clock, which is the John Deloney Show. Wherever you find your podcast, YouTube, so on and so forth. Uh, take a look at his books. The newest one is Building a Non-Anxious Life. It's out now. Like I said, I just went to that book release last week. Um, haven't dove into that just yet, but 
I will soon, and and we'll we'll probably talk about that in the near future. Actually, keep your ear to the ground about that. I may have something um, down the line with that book. Uh, if you want to hear the rest of my thoughts about the topic of Blueprint for a Better Life, go check out the Patreon, where I'll be releasing an exclusive podcast episode there with some more of my personal thoughts. All right, now, so at the end of each episode this season, I'm going to go ahead and shout out an organization that you should check out uh, in regards to mental health and other forms of wellness. I've done it before. Uh, I used to call it uh, something shout out. I can't remember what I used to call it, but I'm going to do it again. That's how I'm going to wrap this episode, So or every episode. So there we go. So this week, I want to shout out my good friends over at Project Refit. <coughs> I've talked about them a lot in the past. even went to a retreat with them in Northeast Pennsylvania over um, back in March. They are currently launching a new writing sharing of traumatic stories, uh, just another form of therapy. We were actually on the retreat. We were supposed to do something about journaling. That got, um, that got canceled. So this is kind of in line with that. It's called Stories of Blood and Ink. I'm currently writing my own entry into that. So go over to projectrefit.com. I'm sorry, projectrefit.us and check them out or just Google Project Refit. Uh, you should be able to find them. And then um, I believe under the heading blogs, it'll say that. Again, Project Refit's great. They do a lot of great things for vets, first responders, and beyond. Uh, so go check them out. Even donate. I've done that a couple times. Uh, James, who runs it, he's got a partner that runs it too. Uh, just amazing stuff. So again, I uh, can't say the, anything but the best for Project Refit. And they're my boys out of Jersey. Like It, it just all kind of dials right back in. Uh, next week, guys, on the show... We're going to start one of my new themed episodes. Well, at least we were supposed to. It was supposed to be a 10 Eats episode. I was supposed to... Not not Yeats. Eats. 10 Eats episode. Uh, it was supposed to be a series that I was going to do in conjunction with the mental health episodes and a couple other things. And that kind of uh, fell through. The best laid plans of Mice and Men fall awry. So, instead, this will be the first and only rendition of the 10 8 eats uh thing because we didn't even really talk about food all that much but it's uh jen who is now a retired cop and he's uh i wouldn't say a chef it's it's a it's a hobby of his but his name is josh he's from the josh and babe youtube channel also known as the cooking cop he's now the cooking retired cop it's a cool dude man let me tell you he um blew me away with his personality actually as i'm editing the episode i'm listening to it it sounds like we're the same person very similar uh sound to our voice uh, similar mannerisms and vocal mannerisms because you can't see how we're uh, intera- interacting with each other. Just it's great, really cool. Uh, you guys are gonna like it. Two hours of a lot of fun. It's called Cooking Up Controversy, coming out next Monday. Like I said in the beginning, beginning episodes this this year, this season, coming out on Mondays as uh, as early as eight a.m. If I can, it might come out a little later. We'll see what I can do. Um, in two weeks from there, I'm gonna have the other. Uh, mini series of episodes that I was trying to do. Um, it's called the 10, eight book club. Now I know cops don't really read all that well, but we're trying to do something a little different here on 10, eight, as opposed to other cop podcasts. We're trying to encourage you guys to read and, uh, and look in and get in some information. That's good. Uh, while I'm sure there's a realm of fiction that is good as well. I just haven't gotten into it. I'm more of a nonfiction self-help psychology philosophy kind of guy. That's what we're going to focus on. So I've got two installments of the 10 Book Club lined up. The first one is going to be in two weeks. So if you want to go ahead and get that book, so that way you know what we're talking about. Um, it's called Breaking the Blue Wall, One Cop's Journey to Overcoming Trauma and Helping Others with Mental Health uh, by Gilbert Rios III. 
He'll be out in two weeks. Go get your copy on Amazon or Kindle. I actually was able to get the one on Kindle for free. I don't know how that works, but go check it out on Amazon uh, and give it a read. It's, it's not it's nothing crazy. It's nothing like super doctoral thesis or anything like that. It's really his story and how um, mental health has affected him and how he's made changes. It, it hits very close to home. You don't want to miss that episode. I was on his episode, the Fit for Duty podcast, um, back in, I think, August is, or maybe September is when it was released. So go check it out. And that's it. Uh, I know I said, was that it? That was it eight minutes ago. I do apologize about that. But let me go ahead and sign off. We are having our closing music this season with my good friends yet again in Keep Flying. They just released a new album called Daylight. Here is a song off that album called Peace Be the Journey. Peace be with you and also with you. Until next time, friends, take care of each other and stay safe. You know what we always say. 10-8, out. I feel left out because I'm really not a party guy.